I appreciate Bill and Lauren. Hey, would you give a special thanks for Lauren because she gives the directoring of all this for uh, Appreciate it, Lauren. It's our privilege as a church to, to not only be God's instrument impacting this local community, but making impact uh, among all the nations. So glad you're here with us this morning. If you missed last week, you may be wondering why these unique objects on a stage here at church. And it's simply because last week we started this new series on discipleship. And the way we describe discipleship here at the chapel is through a journey of these four objects. The scripture says everyone is born physically alive, but spiritually dead. So we start our journey in a coffin because we are dead in our sins. And the only way that we can be raised from the dead, which is what a dead person needs to be raised from the dead, the only way that can happen is the scripture tells us through what Christ has done on the cross for us. That he, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So the journey of a disciple begins dead in their sins, but when they place faith in the sacrificial and substitutionary work of Jesus, they are raised with him and are given new life in Jesus. So that issue of being raised up and they become then in the crib a consumer. Is that bad? No, that's what infants are. Infants are 100% dependent. But the goal is not to stay here in the crib. That's the part of the journey. But the goal is to, from being an infant, to grow up. Just like we would want our children to grow up and to move from the crib over here to the table where they would become no longer a consumer but a collaborator. The great thing about the table, and this is what we love about the table, is... Here, almost everyone else is like you. They're not needy, because you don't really want needy friends, do you? You know what I mean. They're not needy. Well, they have some needs, but if you meet their needs, they're going to meet your needs. If they need help, they will also help you. You help them, they help you. You pray for them, they pray for you. You celebrate them, they celebrate you. What we like about the table is it's very mutual. It's working together, and it's good. It's how we want to grow up. But the struggle with the table is what? Well, you can get stuck here. And if you get stuck here, it's very easy to begin to ignore the babies in the crib and forget about the dead people in the coffin. Because I like here, I can get disconnected from them. And I want us to understand that one of the most significant things about the life of Jesus, when we just sang that song, I follow Jesus, what was true about the life of Jesus, which was not true about the religious people of his day, is that he did not ignore those who were still dead in their sins, and he did not ignore those who were newborn in their faith. So if we are going to grow into the image of our leader, which is our simple definition of discipleship that we talked about last week. 
helping someone grow into Christ-likeness, then we have to be willing to do what Jesus did, and that is to get up and go here to what we simply describe as the stove, where it's a life with intentional multiplication. You tracking? There's collaboration here. There's serving and being served. But here, I am living a life very intentionally to pour my life out for the sake. This is not occupational. It's whatever you do. You're living your life at your work, in your home, in your neighborhood with the sense of how can I be a multiplier? In other words, giving my life for the sake of going back to those who are still dead in their sins and giving them the truth they need, the love that they are missing, and that sense of, I've been created to have a relationship with God. But it's not just going back to the, those who are dead in their sins. The life at the stove is going back to those who are new in their faith and helping them learn to grow up, how to walk in the spirit, how to read their Bible, what confession of sin looks like, how do you actually live in marriage as a child of God? How do you parent as a child of God? That's the growing up process. And so we get up from the table to go to the stove, which means go to those who are still dead in their sins, that's what Jesus did, to go to those who are newborn in Christ that they might grow up, and even go to those who are here at the table because it's easy to get comfortable here and help them also be multipliers as well. So the whole journey of a disciple, this is why we call it this, the journey of a disciple here is the work of God in moving us, the whole way from dead in sin to a multiplier of life. You see it? And it's, it's got a great progression, and these objects simply help us remember. So before we continue, one of the great moments we get to celebrate as a church is when people move from the coffin to the crib. So we're going to take a few moments, and we're going to have some baptisms like we often do in our services. And so we have, I believe, three folks who are gonna be baptized. All three of you, come on up right now. Don't be bashful. They're gonna share their faith. And then they're gonna climb in our uh, watering trough over here and be baptized. Why? Because the scripture tells us baptism is an outward expression of what's happened internally. What? That we have been identified with Christ in death and burial, except we don't hold them under for three days. <laughs> and then we raise them up to walk in newness of life. So let's celebrate with their stories and then celebrate the new life that they have found in Christ. Hi, my name is Fisher Berger and I'm 10 years old. I don't remember when I wasn't a Christ follower, but I've known Jesus my whole life but didn't really obey him. I just know that it was hard for me. Then I started to like church more and more every day. My family reads the Bible in the morning before we go to school. I grew to understand that Jesus was God's only son and died on the cross for me. He died for all my sins and rose from the dead. But by his grace, I ask Jesus into my heart and walk with him every day. I have decided to follow Jesus. I, w I want to walk by the Holy Spirit. 
I'm going to spend more time in his word. I want to read the Bible and do what it says. I want to thank my mom and my teacher at school for helping me grow in Christ. My favorite verse is Psalms 36, 5. Lord, your love is as high as the heavens. Your faithful love reaches up to the skies. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Fisher, because of your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, it's your dad's privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. She's been buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in new life. My name is Charles Berger. I'm 11 years old. My life before Christ was hard. I knew about Jesus but didn't follow him. I don't remember a certain day I came to Christ, but sometime at, I know sometime after my grandfather died, about five years ago. I know I was a sinner, and Jesus, the one and only Son of God, died for me. I'm saved by his grace. And all I had to do was ask him into my heart. I want to depend more on Jesus for comfort and self-control. I have decided to follow Jesus. I read the Bible daily and ask the Holy Spirit to help me. I want to know God's word as much as I can. I want to thank everyone who has helped me learn about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. My mom, dad, and Sunday school teachers. My favorite verse is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For, for anyone who believes in him will not die, but have eternal life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold... New things have come. Charles, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, it's also your dad's privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's been buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in new life. Good morning. Um, good morning. My name is Sam Swain. And God has made me know. I was trapped in a cycle of addictive behavior, selfishness, and self-torment. I was basically dragged to church not wanting to be here. On a few occasions I went, I went kicking and screaming. I may have been forced to go, but I was not going to be an active participant. My theme was going to be I'll listen, but I won't get involved. And then God did the impossible. He worked himself into me in a way that I can't explain in words. Sorry. Uh, as Doug told us last week, we all started dead in our sins. Having the coffin on stage helped me see the reality in a new way. But because Jesus died on the cross, we can experience new life. We make him our Savior and Lord. That's what happened to me. I'm still new in my walk with Christ. 
He's already blessed me abundantly. My view of life has changed in a way I never thought possible. I want to be baptized as another step of obedience and to show people my commitment in. And I want to publicly do this with my new brothers and sisters in Christ present. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. To life. And there are few who find it. I'm so glad God found me and allowed me to walk through that narrow gate. And first Peter says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Sam, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've been buried with him in baptism, and you are raised to walk in new life. So I met Sam the Easter Sunday, uh, this Easter Sunday, and uh, dead in his sin. But I watched the work of God in his heart. Saw him become a new man in Christ. And I don't know, maybe a month ago, met him in the parking lot Tuesday night, and I said, uh, so when are you gonna get baptized? And he said, uh, I'm scared. <laughs> And I said, I'm scared every Sunday morning I get up here. <clears throat> and that's true. We don't do what we do in following Jesus because it's comfortable. We do what we do following Jesus because of what he has done for us. And we love him because he first loved us. So the work of grace in Sam's life, uh, Sister Sandy, Thanks for the Lord uh, working through you and uh, how God has caused him to have new life. Share all that because some of you have experienced God's grace and, and you're in the crib, uh, but your fear is keeping you from doing what Sam did. Your fear is keeping you from making public declaration. And I want to encourage you don't wait till your fears go away. Take a step, trusting that the Lord will be faithful to help you because if I know anything about Jesus, it's simply this. He will give you all you need to do what he says. That's called the indwelling Holy Spirit. He will give you all you need to do what he says. And so don't allow your new life to go unproclaimed publicly through the act of baptism. That water doesn't save you. Don't misunderstand me. The work of Jesus saves. That is a proclamation 
of the work of Jesus in our lives. So I want to encourage you in your journey, it may be that part of your growing up is acknowledging, I'm afraid to stand up and share my story, but I'll do it in obedience to Jesus in order that I experience his sufficiency. See, what I, what I want us to see is this. This journey is a joy-filled journey. The, the more we move from the coffin to the stove, the more we move towards life, right? The more we move towards life as God intended us to live it. We think, oh no, I don't want to go there. I'll lose my life. And what Jesus say? If you lose your life for my sake, then you'll find it. So this, this journey that the Lord has us on, it's a good journey. Hey, there's some scary moments along the way, no doubt. But it is the path toward life and life abundant. So it's, that's why we celebrate so much. This, the move from coffin to crib, but we celebrate those moments from crib the whole way to stove. So this morning... Here's what we're going to look at from the scriptures. We're going to look at what the scripture says about what God uses to help us grow into Christ's likeness. So join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 5 through 9 this morning. And from this text, we're going to see the instruments that God uses to help us grow. Because when Paul writes this, he is writing to a church in a city named Corinth. And he is writing to them about their journey and how he has been involved in their journey from going from, in our language, from the coffin to the crib. He's going to introduce a different image then coffin to crib in this that I think you'll see parallel very well to the journey that we describe here. So verse five, beginning 1 Corinthians 3. What then is Apollos and what is, oh, let me grab you. Uh, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed even as the Lord, as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. And then he changes the image, God's building. So why does he say God's building? Well, because as the text continues, then he's going to talk about how a person builds a building and whether those building supplies last or get burned up. So you can kind of ignore those last two words, God's building, because that leads us to the next verses. But the image thus far in this text was a field. So think of it this way. In his image, a field like a coffin is what type of field? It's a barren, empty, nothing in it, just plain dirt, barren dirt, right? But a field that is like a stove is what? Yes, it's a bountiful harvest. So the journey he's talking about is how do you take a field that's barren dirt and make it a bountiful harvest? Same idea, same movement, 
death to multiplying life to barren dirt to bountiful harvest. What does God use to make that happen? And the first overwhelming truth he teaches about how that happens is simply this, that God and God alone, he says it three times in those few verses, God and God alone is the one that causes the growth. It's not, oh, it's the smart people who grew. It was God and God alone. Right here, God and God alone. Uh, by the kind intention of his will. Remember, uh, if you were with us a number of years back in Ephesians, Carfish, chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, informed with purpose, sealed heirs. All 100% the work of God that brought us from dead to life. It's God and God alone who causes the growth. Right here, what's the scripture says? Say, he who began a good work in you, he will, he'll complete it. So it's God and God alone who causes the growth. Why is that important? Simply. If I recognize, we recognize, if I'm alive, it's because of God has been gracious. If I'm growing, it's because God has been gracious. If I'm serving, it's because God has been gracious. If I'm multiplying, it's because God has been gracious. If I recognize, if we recognize that, you know what that will do? It'll increase our gratitude to the Lord so much more. So you recognize, feel of life, it's 100% because he loved you first. He was gracious to you. And pride, my pride, our pride can really creep in, even into our salvation, even into our sanctification, that is our growing into Christ-likeness. Our pride, and we can think, well, it's because of what we did. 100%. What did the text say? It was God who calls the growth as the Lord gave each opportunity. When I understand grace, two things happen. My worship increases and my pride gets killed. And anytime I identify pride in my life, maybe this would be true for you as well. Anytime you identify pride in your life, it's because you've lost sight of God's 100% grace in your life. And you've kind of elbowed your way into thinking, I had a part in this. It is God's grace that elevates worship and kills pride. God and God alone causes the growth. Go back to verse 6 in your text. When Paul, who wrote this letter, says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth, he's telling us two things. First, God does it, but God uses what? God uses 
people. God uses people. See, do you have a person in your mind that God used? It was God who brought you from death to life. But do you have a person in your mind that you go, here's, what, here's who the Lord used for you to hear the gospel and be born again? Anybody, anybody of you, any of you have a person in your, you, you would like have a picture? Any of you? The rest of you just saw it in a cloud? <laughs> See, I don't think so. I think almost the vast majority of you could have a person, a, a picture, if you will, a picture of a person who the Lord used to bring about his work in your life. You can't see that picture probably, so here's what it is. Here's the picture. Uh, God works through people. Sorry, that's not the picture. That's the blank. God works through people. We need relationships to grow. So it's God doing the work, but he does it through people. And therefore, we need relationships. If you're wondering, because we introduced some color into the chart this week, uh, that's why we put this blue the whole way from the coffin the whole way to the stove. Because all along the way, that journey, one of God's instruments in that journey is people. The picture that I was showing you there is this picture. That's our Power Up Club student team for this year. And 50 plus kids came to Christ according to his grace and his work through those students. You see what I'm saying? So the, the, I'm grateful for that. <clears throat> uh, these students in the language, we'll see it in a moment, these students planted. And God used them to bring folks from death to life. Has God used someone in your life to move you from crib to table, to help you grow up? Yeah, if I was going to put a picture on that one, that would be this gentleman. His name is Major Ian Thomas. Started Torchbearers, and it was through torchbearers and through this man that I learned how to grow up in Christ. To walk in the spirit. That the Jesus who walked the pages of this New Testament was alive and living in me. Wanting to live his life through me. Part of the growing up process, major part of my growing up because I came to Christ and I, I actually got stuck here for a while because I just couldn't figure out how do I overcome sin. I did my best. And I'd go to camp and I'd throw a stick in the fire and I'd be really committed and it'd work for like two weeks. Ever been there? Like, like you get really determined and it lasts for a little bit but I never knew any enduring walk and victory in Christ until I understood the life of the Holy Spirit living in me. 
God used him. God's used somebody in your life if you're growing because he works. It's his work, but he works through people. Right here, this lady, that's Mary Faith Phillips. When I was a student, she taught me to be a multiplier. She's the one that the Lord used to teach me how to teach the scriptures. She was a single, she is a single lady still living in Mississippi and uh, never married, never children, but has actually children all over the world who she taught to be multipliers. So I'm privileged to be called one of Mary Faith's kids. You see, God uses people. Do the people whom God has used in your journey, they know that the Lord used them? Because that would encourage them if you ever shared that with them. He uses people. Go back to verse six again. He used Paul, he used Apollos. But what's it mean that Paul planted and Apollos watered? What, what did Paul plant? Seed, that's what you would plant, but the seed of what? The, the seed of the gospel. He planted from the scriptures the seed of the gospel so that they heard the gospel. What does it mean that Apollos watered? It means he's simply the seed and then there is that water that causes the seed to, to grow. I think what he's simply saying is this. Paul had the privilege of being the individual who planted death to life and Apollos had the, the privilege of being the guy who watered, who helped them grow up in Christ. Both used of the Lord and both used the scriptures. God works through people. God works through his word. Instrument of God is simply, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so if we're going to grow, we not only need relationships, if we're going to grow, we need to be, have scriptures part of our life. It's kind of the, the food, if you will, of our spiritual life. And that's why uh, so hopeful that your time in the scriptures will not simply be once a week when we come in here and we open them together. But actually, here's what I hope, that our time together in the scriptures, you would find enriching and helpful to the degree that you would go, I wanna read the scripture myself. This isn't so ancient and so distant and so impractical after all. The Lord really does speak through this. The Lord really does work through his scriptures. So on your chart, What's the blue stand for? That God uses people. And then this green stands for the fact that God uses his scripture. That it is the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by his word. 
That there is the word of God. It's the scripture that causes us to be able to understand the gospel. One of the real privileges over the years has been in premarital to help folks who have grown up thinking that salvation is based on what Jesus has done plus what they do. See, there's many people who do believe in God, believe in Jesus, know about the cross, even know that he was raised from the dead, and they know about the scriptures, but they do not understand that it is Jesus and Jesus alone that saves. And so to open them to the verse that Matt read earlier, for by grace you have been saved through faith, And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works. Why? So that no one would boast. Remember, faith kills pride. It's the scripture that teaches us to go from death to life. It's the scripture that causes us to be able to grow up. It's the scripture that says, go and make disciples. See, in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul writes to the Corinthians again, he says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, the mirror, the glory of the Lord here, the scriptures are being transformed. That's simply another word for change. We're being changed into the same image. What? The image of the Lord. We're being changed into the same image from glory to glory. In other words, it doesn't go like from, not like the Lord to like the Lord, it's like step by step from one degree of glory to another. There is a journey of growing into Christ-likeness, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So he's simply saying this, watch, that the Spirit of God is using the Word of God to change the person of God into the image of the Son of God. That's all 2 Corinthians is saying right there. That the spirit of God is using the word of God to change the people of God into the image of the son of God. Now, why does he say with unveiled face? Well, it's harder for you to know since I'm just showing you the verse up here. If you were there with me in 2 Corinthians 3, what you would see is he just talked about Moses And how when Moses went up onto the mountain and his face would glow because he was in the presence of the Lord. And then he'd come off the mountain and his face would, it would start to diminish. The glow would go away. And Moses didn't like people seeing the glow go away. So it says he put a veil over his face. The problem was then they never saw the glow because he didn't want them to see the glow go away. But we all with unveiled face. Why don't we veil our face like Moses veiled his face? Because the glow is not diminishing. It's it's increasing. 
As we grow in Christ, we don't have to go, oh man, I got to cover my face. Otherwise, it's going to be awkward because everybody's seen that I have been in the presence of God. Now, I haven't been in the presence of God, so my glow's going away. That I am constantly, because the Spirit of God dwells within me and the Word of God is His tool by which He is changing me, the glow is, un- is increasing. So keep the veil off and let. The Lord use your growth to encourage others. Why? What's happening in your life? You seem to be handling like hardship much better than usual or than you used to. Or what's happening in your marriage? There seems to be like life there that wasn't there before. You see what I'm saying? Have you, have you never seen, have you ever seen somebody grow in Christ and it's like tangibly visible to you? Yeah, I have. One of the things I love about our family group is I've definitely seen newly married grow in their love for the Lord and love for one another. And you can, it's visible. The scripture says, that when we're here, when we're here, what? The Spirit of God is going to use the Word of God to change the people of God into the image of the Son of God. I don't read my Bible because I have to. Oh, man, I'll be in trouble with the Lord if I don't read my Bible. Sometimes you feel that way. I'm going to be in trouble. And, and then people say stuff like this, you know, I know I should have been reading my Bible, and then I got in this car accident because I hadn't been reading my Bible. Don't read your Bible so you don't get into a car accident. Come on. This is a joyful journey. The more I grow into Christ's likeness, the more I experience what? Life as God intended me to live it. See, uh, we're not like kicking people down, though. Get, you know, grow up grow up. Hey, you people, you need to get up. <laughs> oh, we're not herding cattle to slaughter. We're inviting people into ever-increasing life that's found in Christ. So it's God uses people. God uses his word. Now, watch what he does here. He says, we are God's, he's speaking of himself and Apollos, we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. Speaking to the Corinthians. So, CFC, who are you? Are you God's fellow workers or are you God's field? Yeah, I love this. What am I? Am I a field or am I a fellow worker? Well, I start as a field. I stay as a field. But as I stay as a field, I also become a fellow worker. Do you see that? See, it's, it's the work of God in me, and it's always and continually intended to be the work of God in me. But the work of God in me along the journey becomes the work of God through me as well. So I'm always God's field, and then I have this incredible privilege to, as being a part of God's field, see, you see both, you go, well, you can't be both the field and the worker. Well, in the kingdom of God, you can. 
You can be both the field and the worker. And actually, it is our serving that is one of the instruments of God growing us into Christ's likeness. He works not only in us, God works through us. We are his fellow workers and we will actually only learn some things about the Lord and about ourselves and about our faith in our serving, right? Many of you went to college and then got a job and had this realization. College had nothing to do with my job. It didn't actually prepare me to do anything. Now, some of you go, no, 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 my college really helped me. For many folks, there's a bunch of classroom stuff that never actually translates into life. Regrettably. I hope you don't experience this much at CFC, but many times there's a bunch of sermons that have actually nothing to do with life. And you're like, okay, great, but I got to go to work tomorrow. And that was useless. No, there is, there's what we learn in the classroom. And then there's just <laughs> what we learn in the workroom. And some things we'll only ever learn in the workroom, we'll actually never learn in the classroom. See, I experienced the Lord in very personal and profound ways as his field, but I experienced him differently, personally and profoundly, as his fellow worker. Like dependence, feeling overwhelmed, so I wrote some folks, uh, I think I have it here with me, wrote some, some folks in our body who, who have been serving and said, simply ask them, how have you grown in your relationship with the Lord? Not in a Bible study, not through a sermon, but through a serving. One said, I've learned to rely on him when I'm leading a project and unexpected challenges appear. I've also learned to ask for wisdom and work through circumstances to be able to fulfill the task at hand. It's a reminder, listen, that although alone I may run faster, together and as a team we can go further. Serving gives us an opportunity to experience what it means to be a part of the body of Christ in a unique, beautiful, and life-giving way. See, I can tell you that. Or you can experience that. Another said, I've grown immensely in my prayer life. I used to only pray when I wanted something or I was going through a problem. Now I'm constantly praying for those I meet. Serving has built close fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Serving draws me close to the Lord, helps keep my mind and heart fixed on him. It helps me recognize my need for him and grow in humility and dependence on him. Fourth individual said, the main thing the Lord has been teaching me through serving is that I need to die to myself. See, I can tell you that, but then you serve and you realize if this field's ever gonna move from barren to bountiful, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it doesn't bear fruit. I'm gonna have to learn to die to myself. Over many years, I've been super self-centered and would do what I want when I want because I'm single with no children. 
had the mindset, what I do doesn't affect anyone else. There have been a few situations over this past year that have shown me it's not about me, my feelings or thoughts, but about showing and sharing and following the love of Jesus. All things I've heard growing up in church but didn't necessarily live out because of fear. Fear of getting out of my comfort zone and fear of socializing. I let those fears have power over me instead of the power of Jesus. So I decided it was time to die to what I wanted and to serve as Jesus wanted me to. You see what I'm saying? You can listen to a sermon and hear things about Jesus, or you can get involved in the field as a fellow worker and discover for yourself, experience the sufficiency of the Lord, that this really is where life is found. To discover he is your helper, to discover that you do not need to be controlled by fear. See, how long will you continue to allow your fears to control you or take a step out of your comfort zone and believe the Lord will be my helper? It's just a verse in the Bible until you step into your fear and you discover, oh, it's more than a verse in the Bible. It's real. And you have a testimony. The Lord grows us through our serving. So as you look at your, your diagram, I'm just trying to communicate as much as I can through this, that the blue represents on this journey, God is always using people. That the yellow, excuse me, the green is representing that God is always using his word. And that third, that it is by his spirit through our serving that we grow. You see, it's 100% by his spirit that we come to Christ. And then the scripture says, this is why there's this yellow dot there in the coffin. If you look in the crib, if you look closely, it's there that he gifts us with his spirit. And with his spirit comes a unique gift for the building up of the body of Christ. And as I grow up and I get up, then that serving does two things. It grows my relationship with the Lord and it helps grow other people's relationship with the Lord. That's the privilege. So it's not a kick in the pants, get up. It's an invitation to step further into the life that God has made us to live. There's one more instrument that God uses that wasn't in 1 Corinthians 3. So I'm going to have to go out of 1 Corinthians 3. He uses people. He uses his word. He uses the towel and the basin service. And he uses this. bad thing to have in a crib, by the way. <laughs> well, what's this represent? Suffering, trials, hardship. Does the Lord use these to grow us up? Yes. Uh, it's not there in the passage, but we know we just finished James. 
Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, that the trials test our faith, and that testing of our faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the Lord works through trials. He works through hardship. He works through pain, whatever word you want to write in there. And so we need, and I think you'll get this, we need the unwanted. Nobody wants this. Nobody's going, oh, let me get the crown of thorns. But let me have your eyes for a moment. I bet almost every single one of us, without much deliberation, could share how pain in our life was actually the unwanted, necessary gift that the Lord used to grow us up or to get us up or even to raise us up. This would be just by a show of hands. How many of you would say part of what the Lord used to move you from death to life was some sort of crisis, pain, or hardship in your life? Oh, my. Ooh, keep your hands up. Look around for a moment. I don't know what's happening over in north. There's a lot of hands in here. You see? Nobody wants it, but everybody needs it, and in fact... It was through pain that the Lord caused us to move from death to life. Hey, that's a great exchange. Nobody wants the pain, but that's a great exchange. It's often pain that causes us to grow up. It's a good parenting principle, by the way, but that's not what we're talking about right now, although God is our heavenly father. It is a worthy parenting principle that you who try to shelter your children from all pain are not helping them. I know we all agree with that until it's our kids and then we're like, well, you know, our kids, they'll learn without the pain. No, they won't. Because generally, we don't move until there's some pain. It's regrettable, but often we don't move until there's pain. You know what Jesus said? Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they all hung in Jerusalem. And then persecution came and they all scattered. The Lord said, you can move or I can move you. Right? It's just pain. And I'm not making light of it. Some of you are feeling it so deeply right now. I am not making light of it. But I want you to see, in this pain, hear me please, the Lord is not against you. He's for you. He's for you. It's not pleasant, but he's for you. And this pain is part of one of God's tools, his instrument to take barren dirt 
and turn it into a bountiful field. So you don't have to go look for pain. <laughs> we live in a fallen world. Just don't waste it. Because we can't. We can waste our pain. And then the Lord's like, well, we can run that, we can run that path again. <laughs> and again, not because he's against us, but because he is for us. And this journey is a journey of joy. Remember, this joy, journey is a joy of toward life as God intended it. So as the band comes up to close us and we want to sing again that simple song that we follow Jesus. I wonder if you'd bow with me. The Lord wants to grow you this morning through this message. It's his work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to just pause, have a moment of quiet there in your seat and just ask yourself, all right, Lord, what are you, what are you saying to me? Maybe he's confronting pride. Maybe he's confronting uh, where you're stuck in your journey or need for a relationship or your ignoring of the scriptures. Maybe your refusal to actually take out the basin and the towel and serve. Or maybe you're fighting the pain instead of learning from it. What's the Lord saying to you? Father, thank you. Thank you for the people you've put in our lives. Thank you for the word that you've given to us. Thank you for the spirit that you've poured into the heart of your children. Thank you for taking our spiritual deadness and giving us life. Thank you for inviting us into the privilege of being fellow workers in your field. I want to ask that by your spirit, through your instruments, you would continue to grow us to the people of God. And Lord, if there are any here who were where Sam was back at Easter, present but still dead, Lord, would you open their eyes that they might see? And I want to invite you there in the quietness of your seat to admit your sin, to admit your deadness, to believe in Jesus, to begin new life with him as a follower of him. Let's stand together and sing.
so glad that you're here. Um, if we can pray for you in any way, we have men or women who are available between the auditoriums. We would love to pray for you. Um, if you're wondering maybe where you are in this process still, maybe you're still dead in your sins, need to grow up, want someone to pray with you through that as you listen to the Lord, it would really be a privilege to do that. I want to end us with a benediction from, uh, from Hebrews. It says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And we all say, Amen. God bless. Have a good day.